0: To be honest, Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker just got engaged. So like I'm reeling emotionally from that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that I also I think that energy is going to inform this podcast in a really meaningful way.
0: Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. As always, I am resident uh, lesbian Vamtober librarian, Bethy Squires. And with me as always is Thomas Grabinski.
1: Uh, Yeah, I love to be a teaching assistant. That's one of the best things about October. Thank you, Bethy.
0: Speaking of learning, we have with us tonight assistant professor at Cal State Northridge, part-time drag performer and all-around cool person, Alex Hollett. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, it's my pleasure to
2: be here. I'm excited to talk about this film.
0: I wanted you, Alex, to come here for Lesbian Vamptober because we met through queer theater and like weird camp Mm. schlock, I would say. Yes, definitely. So this is in our wheelhouse. Yeah. (laughs) This is back to our origin story. Alex's partner, Nikki, used to Help operate this place in Bloomington called the Back Door, where I put on plays, and Nikki was in a few of them. I think the main one was they were uh, Rim Tiggins in the Oh my god! One. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> they
0: had,
2: they had one word that they said the entire time, and now I'm blanking on it. Me too. <laughs>
0: oh, no, so had it was two so words. Good. It was like whatever man. I think like it's just like different like man whatever whatever man whatever like there was a rousing speech that was just whatever and man and like different alternations
2: yeah definitely it was a really good production i remember being
0: titillated thank you
1: i love when we (laughs) kick off an episode and i know it's one for the bloomington heads Yeah. yeah i feel like i feel like our audience they love movies but but most importantly they love bloomington indiana
0: I feel like our podcast is for locals only, but the locals (laughs) of Los Angeles and Bloomington, Indiana. It's exclusive.
1: And if anyone feels alienated by this, I'm not from Bloomington, um, but I'm inhaling the fumes. I love this.
0: And I think you all are from Bloomington, if you really think about it, because (laughs) uh, there's a big Buddhist center there, and in a way, we're all children of the cosmos. So really, I think we're all cutters that's what you Mm. call people from bloomington
2: i think i'd like to keep it a little bit more exclusive actually (laughs) (laughs) this is i'm not digging this yeah this world harmony vibe going
0: on right now no i'm kidding yeah let's all be cutters (laughs) which is not yeah this that's just because we cut limestone there it's not (laughs) not weird That's not self-harm. We're not elevating
2: the status of self-harm on this podcast.
0: No, this episode should have trigger warnings for blood play because we are talking about Vampiros Lesbos, which is a gory, horny phantasmagoria by Jess Franco, aka Jesus Franco, aka like five other alternate names. But before we get talking about that, Alex, what is your relationship to watching movies in bars or talking about movies in bars? How do you interact in that space?
2: Yeah, well, I used to have a favorite bar that I went to when I lived in Chicago called the Boiler Room. And you go there and you get a slice of pizza and a shot of Jameson for like 4 bucks oh,
1: and always. No. Yeah,
2: I know. That's amazing. Always. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they're still doing that, but uh that was my my history. And there would always be – it's very dark, you know, and there would always be something playing in the background where you couldn't hear the words, right? And you're just, like, watching this play out on on the screen. So I really like watching movies in bars when it's like that. I don't like going to bars to watch movies very often. Um, I actually went to a screening of The L Word here in Los Angeles <laughs> at the Tropical or the Tropic or something, um and it was a mess couldn't hear anything so it's just like i either want to watch movies by myself at home was or it at the semi-tropic
0: implant. oh the semi-tropic yes yeah. i saw the 2018 i saw green book win best picture there so oh my
1: god fuck
0: that's my connection
1: like we love that. Green Book on the pod. Uh, Where <laughs> Bethy and I both have Green Book uh, Blu-ray. Oh my
0: god! Yeah, I because you're a... coming out. <laughs> I have a tattoo of Viggo Mortensen housing an entire pizza. <laughs> yeah.
1: That shit's funny. That's that's one of like the funniest clips uh, in film of the last ten years. He folds an entire pizza in half, right?
0: Yeah, he shotguns at Liz Lemon style. <laughs> Iconic.
1: We love Vigo. He really went for it.
0: I do love Vigo. I will always I'm kind of medium on the psycho remake that he's in, but I do love his tramp stamp and full backle shot in that movie. I don't know that I've seen that one.
1: I've only seen the Vince Vaughn psycho remake. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He yeah. Vigo's in that? Vigo's in that. He plays like the the boyfriend of Anne Haish. And so like Oh to, yeah. yeah! To what update, a throwback. to update, like it was so crazy to see Marion Crane in her bra in like 1960. So to give that same level of shock, the 1988 <laughs> Psycho has like a full ass shot of a gentleman, and he has a tramp stamp. So <laughs> equality.
1: Mm-hmm. I I gotta watch that again. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I'm gonna have a a, a Vigo marathon. <laughs> this weekend
1: yeah yeah I, I i gotta isolate all the horny shots of the psycho remake um alex the thing you said about the uh, four dollar pizza and jameson combo just made me think about bar specials uh, mm-hmm. for the 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 frugal bar goer and i feel like those a lot of the ones that i loved when i first moved to la have since disappeared but there was a bar called the gold room in echo park That was like a real dive down the street from the Echo. And you could get a Bud Light and a shot of Well Tequila for $5. Whoa.
2: um,
1: Which is a broke person who liked to go out before going to see bands at the Echo. That was amazing. I would like spend $10 and be uh, really cruising and would just kind of walk down the street. Um, R.I.P. to the Gold Room.
0: R.I.P. Well... H Miss Bounty still has six dollars tecate and well either tequila or whiskey. So
1: oh shit, I didn't know that.
0: Oh yeah, the wise man special.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I gotta go.
0: Be there tomorrow.
1: We've said it a dozen times uh, on the podcast, but the prototype for perfect bar movie: Alexander Skarsgard, Tarzan. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You'd never watch it otherwise. Yeah, It's don't very worry. shiny. Mm. Lots of like. Alexander Skarsgard's skin contrasts nicely against the background of the jungle, so it's always easy to sort of read where he is.
2: Mm, yeah. This is a nice segue, too, into thinking about vampires <laughs> since he was in
0: uh, True Blood.
2: Oh, yeah. He was,
0: uh, oh, God, what was his name? Jeez, I don't even fucking know. The other know. one was named Not Bill. Not Bill. <laughs> not Bill.
1: <laughs> we did trivia last monday and bethy had to reach deep into the recesses of her brain to remember what anna paquin was called in that show oh sucky
0: it yeah. yeah and he because bill the vampire would always call her sucky because he said it like sucky like, <laughs> how you doing there sucky yeah very breathlessly so, he was so southern, very dramatically yeah yes speaking of vampires speaking of bar movies this movie vampiros lesbos I think is close to being a perfect bar movie, but there is a s- maybe too much bush. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty epic.
2: <laughs> I love the side shot and all you see is just fuzz. Oh, it's beautiful. This movie actually <laughs> had the
1: record uh, for the most bush in a feature-length film up until Oliver Stone's W. Oh,
0: I was going to go oh, with wh- up. Yeah. I was going to say Fahrenheit 9-11, but yours is better. I love it.
1: Or Oliver Stone's World Trade Center also has a lot of (laughs) (laughs) books. Never
0: forget the Bush. No. (laughs) This this Bush didn't do 9-11, though. This Bush just did (laughs) other ladies. I saw a
2: A little, like, a little blurb about Vampirus Lesbos. And I, it says, it's a mind bending odyssey of surreal erotica and 70s Euro horror featuring a psycho sexadelic soundtrack. And I was thinking to myself, what is a sexadelic soundtrack? And I discovered through this film, it's just sitar. (laughs) That's how you know whether something is going to be sexadelic, is if it's very sitar forward.
0: I do have to shout out. The Vampire Lesbo soundtrack, which is sometimes retitled Sexedelic Vampire Party. <laughs> oh wow. In in pressings. Uh that album is by Vampire Sound Incorporated or the Vampire Sound Incorporation. I can't remember which right now. But it's two other like psychedelic jazz fusion weirdos and Franco <laughs> himself. It's a trio of those three. <laughs>
1: Maybe oh, my God. Cool
0: noises.
1: <laughs> the music's so good in this movie. I I, I feel like I'm going to have to look back uh, at the entire history of sitar music through a lens of sexedelia. Maybe unlock something. <laughs>
0: um, so as we're talking about this is a movie by Jess Franco, who's also known as Jesus Franco. He made at least 173 films during his lifetime, possibly over 200. It's kind of hard to tell because he would recut and retitle stuff for different markets so often and also shoot multiple movies at the same time without telling like the people financing it or even the people acting in it that that's what was happening. So nobody really knows how many movies he made. Wow. Wow.
1: I like that that was an era, when, or or at least an industry, where no one was closely scrutinizing his budgets. They just kind of wrote him a check and assumed the number he was asking for was what he needed. And he's like, oh, I'll make three movies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he, in, in these movies, he would write them, he would direct them, he would act in them. In this movie, he plays Mehmet the uh, the Weirdo. <laughs> Mehmet yes. the Weirdo. Mehmet the total fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: How does he have time for all this? Because he's also in this jazz
0: trio, you know? (laughs) Because, yeah, he he would score every movie, too. He was just, that's all he did for the 70s was, like, make weird porn and, (laughs) uh, and score it with a sitar. Those were the things he did. Dream job. Dream life. In his obituary, somebody recounted an actor, like, asking why they had to do two different death scenes in the same day. And Franco was like, oh, you know, because, like, we're going for, like, a trippy thing. So, like, you die more than one time in this movie. It's, like, dream-like. You get it? And they were like, oh, sure. No, he was actually just filming two different movies at the same time without telling the actor.
2: <laughs>
0: He's disguising his productivity as surrealism. <laughs> and still, like, people would go work for him again because it was, like, it was – financially exploitative but like a chill enough set that everyone was like yeah i'll go back fuck it who cares
1: (laughs) this is the proto version of the russo brothers not telling which of the avengers what scene they were in or what they're doing just giving them like sections of pages and having them run around in front of the green screen you don't have to know what movie you're in if the director is in control
2: (laughs) Give the director control. I actually didn't know that. That's how they did that. Uh,
1: there that were mentioned. there were sections in the like final two where they like didn't want to leak key plot details, and so they basically had people isolated. And wow, that's that's good filmmaking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Trust no bitch. Uh,
0: so this <laughs> the one... motto.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this movie, Vampirus Lesbos*, is uh, Jess Franco's first lesbian vampire movie, and it was a theme to which he would return often. Would you believe? uh it's one of the few that stars what is going to be like his biggest star soledad miranda who is just incredible in this movie she plays the countess carity Mm. but tragically miranda died in a car crash like the year this movie came out she had just signed a contract to make more movies with franco and then died in a car wreck and uh franco wound up finding this other like starlet and working with her for like 20 years and then around then is when she divorced her husband and married Franco. And then she starred in like 20 more movies for like tw- for 20 more years with him. Basically, he made this guy uh, made 200 movies, half of which were porn starring his own wife. <laughs> I love him.
1: <laughs> Original wife guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So I had seen this movie back in college and loved it and actually had a dream that I had made a remake of my own so I wound <laughs> up making a remake like of just the like cabaret dance scene yeah. I like did a version of that for a, a photography class I did like stop motion sort of like still photography of somebody finding a mannequin and dressing it and then the mannequin comes to life <laughs> So that's somewhere on the internet. I can't find it, but it's scored to the White Stripes. We're gonna be friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's got like real bad sepia filter on it because I had just learned how to use Photoshop. So, <laughs> I'm gonna search this out. Yeah. Internet sleuths get cracking. So we know that I'm already a fan, um, mm. Alex. You had to watch this for the podcast. You had uh, an array of. Uh, lesbian vampire movies to choose from, and we settled on vampires, lesbos. How did you find it?
2: How did I find it? As in, did I love it? Did you? (laughs) Um, I loved thinking through it. I'll say that. And I thought it was (laughs) visually, aesthetically pleasing. Um, I have many questions that I wrote down for myself, because I did take notes as I was watching, and I counted... All of the red objects that I could see, of which there were many. And one of my favorite, I'm going to call it a character in the film, is that like red yarn macrame thing that's dripping from the ceiling. I'm obsessed with it. I want to find something to like it so yes. I can creepily put it in my own home. Um Yeah, I think that there's, it's rich is what I'll say. It's a rich film.
0: Yeah, much like... New York is a character in Woody Allen movies. The weird tasseled ceiling in the basement of the island castle of the Countess Carity is a character in Vampiros Lesbos. Uh, Thomas, how did you like this movie?
1: I I quite liked it. And I think I had incorrect expectations for what it was. I, I... I mistakenly lumped this in with a lot of movies you like, Bethy, that you tell me are not good, um, but you like them for uh, the, 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 like, kitsch factor or, like, a way that they're deeply strange, and so I just presume that's what this movie was, and obviously there is a silliness to it um, and a real, like, queer camp, but I, I, I was struck by how cool it was. I think the music's amazing, I think the visual language is very interesting, I think... All of the, like, pans and weird zooms that are all mm. kind of loose uh, give the movie a really unique feel. But the performance of Nadine when she's doing her kind of erotic show to lure potential partners, all of that almost feels like a Derek Jarman movie or something. I felt like I was watching, like, Wittgenstein or, like, Edward II. I don't know. I thought the movie was really cool.
0: Yeah, I think that Soledad Miranda's performance is so incredible in this movie. She is just so, like... Electric, like you believe that she's been alive for a hundred, like 400 years. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. You have an otherworldly nature to you that I think comes from centuries of experience. mm I will say that my
2: experience watching it was a little bit weird because I unfortunately had to rent it on Amazon Prime. (laughs) And and what they have is... So this is a French film, if I'm understanding this correctly. But I watched it dubbed in German and then translated into English. So I was seeing it a little bit removed from the original, original version. I'm not sure how much I missed. And it was also strange because, you know, the scene would be over and it would be moving on to a new new scene, but I would still be catching up in the dialogue because the translations were coming across the screen so slowly. Yeah, the
0: subtitles are slow on that one. This movie isn't French. It's, I think, every other nationality, though. (laughs) Oh! Franco is Spanish. The movie was financed by Germans. It's shot in Turkey. The lead, Iwa Stromberg, is Swedish. Miranda is Spanish. I think everybody spoke their native language and then people got dubbers in to dub whatever language they wanted to distribute it in. So there is not, I don't think, a definitive language you're supposed to see it in. Because if you watch like the, the movie I also watched the German version and the mouth flaps do not match up in the slightest to what's going on oh, no. what people are saying. Right. I was like, here's a clue. No, I think I think Eva is speaking Swedish and Miranda is maybe speaking Spanish and then the, they're both being dubbed into German and then translated into English. And I think that's beautiful.
1: I think that German one is like the accepted version or the one that's like in widest distribution because yeah. I mm. this was a rare thing where I didn't realize it was streaming and so I bought the Severin DVD. Um, and that is the, the German version.
2: Okay. So we all had the same experience.
1: Yeah. For all this. the heads out there, this movie is available on DVD. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it's Blu-ray too. Yeah. I thought
1: uh, I think it's, it's Blu-ray not, DVD. It's not on blue yet. That's why oh, I got no. the DVD.
0: Oh, okay. Right, but it's pretty good transfer. Get on it. <laughs> Should we try and explain the plot? Does the plot matter in this movie? <laughs>
1: I think it might be a useful framework for listeners, and then we can deconstruct from there.
0: Sure. Should I should I give it a shot, or Alex? Do you want to try? You can give it a shot, and then maybe
2: we can jump in if we need to stitch any more fabric yeah, together. Because it's it's convoluted, disjointed, is,
0: what I'll say. is <laughs> <laughs> generous. <laughs> um, but okay, so we open in an Istanbul titty bar. I'm not exactly nightclub. <laughs> unclear uh, where a woman is doing it's not exactly a striptease it's like a performance art piece about it feels like it's kind of about the mm, the way the male gaze brings life to certain people who are defined by it like by looking Mm -hmm. at and by desiring a person you become more alive than you were previously but i could be reading too much into it anyway uh A woman named Linda is watching the performance with her boyfriend, Omar, and she is staring at it with what I called in my notes, gay unease. Mm. She just looks deeply troubled by what's happening, but in a in a good way, like parts of her brain are going, uh-oh, oh no, uh-oh. And this scene, like without really transitioning, then becomes a dream that she's having where she sees... Uh, zooming in on a scorpion and some like roof tits like a building that has sort of like conical boob like uh, roofs oh I miss the building boobs I love <laughs> I, to them. Go back I love the roof titties
2: uh,
1: Alex remember it's on DVD <laughs>
0: okay not Blu-ray yet
1: we're getting there
0: I need those high def building
1: titties <laughs> <going to> <laughs>
0: uh she's seeing and then she sees the this woman and there's blood on a wall and she hears a husky voice going Linda, linda linda and it turns out she has been recounting this recurring dream to her psychiatrist and she explains that she has had multiple so she's has this dream many times and she's often orgasmed during it but she's very scared of the dream and her psychologist, who is not taking notes, is just drawing little doodles. <laughs> my favorite part. Oh, my God. I was like, is that a dog? <laughs> Certainly no dog in that
2: dream. It was incredible to see that drawing.
1: That also felt to me like an overt comedic beat. But as the scene mm-hmm. went on, it became clear that it wasn't. <laughs> I think That was it just was. kind of his strange note taking. Oh, OK.
0: I think he was just like a bad doctor. And that's like part of it. But he he prescribes her a lover. So like you, what the problem is that you need to get laid better than your boyfriend <laughs> is doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, having dreamt about a, this woman several times and then seeing her do a strip tease, Linda goes to this island where she meets this woman, uh, the Countess Nadine Caridy, for the first time officially, mm. and they have an instant connection. <laughs> question mark uh there's an issue with this woman's inheritance she has gotten a huge amount of money from dracula <laughs> uh the one and only <laughs> but there's like issues with like with making sure that it's like it's like intestate or something there's something wrong with there's something wrong with Dracula's will, and that's Linda is here to fix that
1: also her assets are uniquely complicated is also my understanding, yeah,
0: because it's like a uh, graveyard dirt, a coffin, <laughs> many red scarves, just, you know morpho these are all morpho. part of it. inexplicable morpho. <laughs> so but before they can do any business they decide to go skinny dipping oh man can I tell you that this was one of the scenes that almost took me
2: out of it completely because I realized that I've never seen a film where a vampire has run for pleasure before Mm -hmm. and I found it very undignified (laughs) I was not a fan it was like and how they had the women run is like how they had women run at that time which is kind of, like, nobody's engaging their core, right? right? So we're just watching these women kind of, like, stumble and giggle to the sea, and their hands are flapping, and I just was like, Nadine would never run like that. Nadine saunters, you know, Nadine prowls, but
0: she does not giggle and run. Anyway, I was perturbed. I was perturbed by how much sand, I think, got inside Nadine <laughs> during that scene right. once they're laying out on the beach. She is like covered in sand in every part of her body. And I was like, oh, she's going to be showering for like a week to get that out.
2: Yeah, that was fascinating to me, too, because she doesn't take her swimsuit off to go skinny dipping like Linda does. She waits until she's rolling around in the sand (laughs) to get naked. Interesting choice for someone with a vulva.
0: So... (laughs) Uh, Once the traditional skinny dipping before business is completed, they have a drink before business and that drink knocks Linda out. Linda wakes up like slightly entranced. She and Nadine have sex, but Linda ends up waking up days later in a sanitarium Mm -hmm. after this. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, no, she wakes up. That's right. She wakes up after after their lovemaking and sees what seems like Nadine dead in a pool and like freaks out oh. and then wakes up three days later in the sanitarium.
2: True. When when did we get introduced to Agra? Just then. Okay. At the sanitarium yes. for the first
0: time. At the okay. sanitarium there's the only people who are patients at the sanitarium appear to be the the horny victims of this vampiress. <laughs>
2: I was telling Nikki, I was like trying to describe Agra and I was like, she is the most passive yet horniest bottom I think I've ever seen <laughs> on film. <laughs> Just
0: rolling around. Wow. Could not get a handle on her. Yes. You can never tell whether it's a good writhe or a bad writhe with her. True. Sometimes she's writhing around because she's happy. Sometimes she's writhing around because she's upset. And it looks and sounds the same either way. It's confusing. Yeah. Linda starts getting treated by this doctor who seems to also be a vampire expert <laughs> as well as owning some sort of private hospital in Turkey. seems like a normal guy. Uh, <laughs> and that and and from there, basically, Linda doesn't want to become a vampire, but she is very attracted to Nadine. Nadine declares that Linda is the only person that she's ever loved. She doesn't understand. She's never understood why people fall in love. It's always been when she has had like thralls or like girlfriends in the past, they would sort of become each other in a way that she found very unhealthy. She was basically saying, like, "It's I've just only had codependent relationships until Linda. So now I'm going to drug this woman and trick her into becoming a vampire so that I can have, like, a really healthy relationship. This is going to be great for me.
1: It's progressive.
0: <laughs> the doctor secretly wants to become a vampire, but nobody wants to fuck him. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> right.
2: Also a horny bottom, Mm -hmm. the doctor.
0: Linda travels back to the island where she is kidnapped by Mehmet, the creep, who apparently is Agra's husband. Right. That reveal was interesting. And he explains that ever since he got cucked by this lady vampire, he's just been killing every woman he finds because obviously they're also enthralled by vampires. Right. Linda saws that guy's head off. You don't see it, but you just... (laughs) You know, that's what happened. She eventually confronts Linda. Linda is or not Linda. Sorry. Linda confronts Nadine, who is dying now for some reason. Mysterious. Yes. I think because Linda drew a boundary and Nadine just reacts poorly like some people do. She's like, well, you want some distance. So I'm fucking dying. How about that? And Linda says, fine. Deals the killing blow to Nadine who vanishes in a puff of smoke, and then Linda's boyfriend is like, it's okay, it was all a dream. Bye. <laughs> Let's go home.
2: <laughs> really good recap. I feel like I understand the plot better.
1: From that. <laughs> but I'm sure the listeners do, too. Yeah, <laughs> The ones who are taking notes, anyway.
2: Yeah, which everyone should be.
0: <laughs> it's funny that it's like, Omar at the end of the movie says to her that it was all a dream but maybe it was all a dream it's it could have just been a dream the entire time we don't know
2: yeah i don't know that there's there's no definitive clue either way that would make me argue one point over the other it's 70s surrealism baby it's true
0: it's mostly just cute outfits and incredible music yes I'm curious, Alex, what your questions are that you have. Oh, wow. Okay, so how is Nadine a daywalker? Great. <laughs> clown dildo, question mark?
1: The clown dildo scene is my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> we should
0: address the clown dildo. Let's let's, pause. let's put a pin in your other questions. and Okay, really... we'll come
2: back to those, yes. <laughs> let's unpack this.
0: Let's drill down on the clown dildo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the edit of the movie is so disorienting and kind of mesmerizing, and that was one of the cuts that I found to be unreal because you've got the scene where nadine is having sex and then suddenly who who's in bed with the clown bedside agra right right so so agra is in bed and just sort of fondling this head of the clown and i'm like wait is this the same scene is this the continuation of the sex and then she lifts it up and it's just this big clown with a strange like plug base
0: yeah it's honestly too big I would think, and way too ruffled <laughs> for insertion. It has like a it, the, it so it looks like a butt plug, but like the size of a human forearm. Yeah, the size like of a fire a, hydrant. <laughs> yes, it's disturbing. Painted like Disabled. a clown with like a ruff around it, like a Jacobean ruff around the neck, and so like none of that is for for getting inside you. And yet, why is it shaped like that? If not for that, right?
2: There always there
0: must always be a phallus you
2: know it has to be a part of the the narrative in some way but i don't know why it has to be a ruffled clown <laughs> <laughs> i really i was trying to think i was like where what led us here what were the other clues that brought us to this moment and i cannot trace it back i was hoping that either of you would be no. able to the, help me understand clown dildo
0: is a big question mark <laughs> in this yeah. movie speaking of Fally, though the way that vampires are killed in this movie is silver in the brain, sort of like werewolf plus zombie rules. Yeah. And the way that Linda finally kills Nadine is she she has like a silver like pen or something that she just gouges her eye out with. And that, that seemed weird to me because we already know how to kill vampires. Like, why you got to add new stuff to this, Franco? What's going on?
1: It's just good world building.
0: what other questions did you have
2: i had what's so great about linda with lots of question marks after that sure (laughs) because from my perspective i was thinking this is truly a mediocre white woman who wears ice blue eyeshadow (laughs) and has said maybe three or four lines thus far and then nadine is like we had this amazing connection wow linda really got under my skin and i'm like How? (laughs) I I really don't understand how we're supposed to believe that relationship. Like, I believe Nadine, Mm -hmm. and I believe that Nadine is, like, a sexy, slutty, awesome babe. But I just didn't ever see the, you know, see the connection between the two of them. So, yeah, that was my question. What's so great about Linda? I also wanted to know Morpho's backstory. We don't really get anything about him. He's an enigma to me. Yeah, I
0: think that those are my... Oh, and what's everybody's sign? You know?
2: <laughs> well,
0: I think Nadine is a Scorpio because she's constantly Definitely. being like intercut, representing there's a scorpion at her house that they keep zooming in on. And when she finally dies, that scorpion drowns in the pool. Yeah. So we know her. The imagery was was
2: obvious, which I appreciated because nothing else was <laughs> in the film. Yeah, I was like, is is Linda maybe a Libra? I don't know. Good outfits, a little indecisive, but then when f- she finally makes the decision, it's to fucking kill you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know what made Linda so special besides that she had had premonition-y dreams that this was gonna happen. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe this this world believes in fate in a way that real girlfriends don't have to worry about. mm
2: Maybe I misunderstood because I thought, I know that the the opening where she is looking at this, you know, kind of burlesque dance turns out to be a dream, but I wondered if she actually had visited and she just had a dream about it later because we know that Nadine is like glamoring her. Right. So I didn't know if maybe she had had a previous experience that she just didn't remember.
0: I thought she had had recurring dreams with, nadine in it and then when she went to the nightclub with her boyfriend she was like that's the girl from my dreams what Uh. and then her psychologist was like everybody has crazy premonition dreams you just need to get laid (laughs) thomas what do you think what's up with linda
1: i think linda's blonde you know um i think she's (laughs) one of the main characters in the movie uh i think it's it's kind of at an intersection of those two things, right?
0: Like she doesn't need to have any other qualifications for. I don't. I
1: I don't think that there is like a real depth of character in this movie across the board. I think it's more yeah. of a like a tonal piece than mm-hmm. anything. So I I forgive that stuff, but yeah, I, I I do think there's a version of this story that maybe demands answers to these questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe
1: not this one. <laughs>
0: I'm also curious about Morpho if we didn't if I didn't say it earlier Morpho is like Nadine's Renfield just like a little assistant guy but when he stabs himself in the heart with a silver knife or whatever he also vanishes so like what was Morpho
2: right was he just one of those spirits of the night that are being referenced he's also a vampire. we never saw him drink blood he was always just like watching from somewhere else and then there would be a zoom in on his eyes yeah so you get the feeling that he's really jealous i got the feeling that he was jealous and possessive of nadine but nothing beyond
0: yeah i get the sense that he's sort of like a stand-in for like a male audience and that's Mm. like some of the some of the sexy times is there to be performed for him like that's Mm. his function sort of dramaturgically is to represent like a passive male viewer of this, because he's not upset by it like Mehmet is, and he's not trying to get in. Like he's not trying to sidle his way in like the guy who runs the sanitarium or the boyfriend. He's just sort of like, "Hey, what's up?" He he's yeah. a he's a male feminist. Him and Dracula are male feminists. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, do you? Did either of you have a
2: sense of what the message behind this film is? I was trying to parse that out. What's the point? Besides being totally groovy,
1: <laughs> I mean, to to me, it feels largely fetishistic on on, on the part of Franco, and I, I don't think, in in a way that diminishes the work, I think part of what makes it fun is the strange intersection of the artful filmmaking and his weird sort of fetish perspective. But I, I didn't find it to be like. An overly thematic film. Mm. Bethy, what do you think? I, I suspect you have a strong perspective on this.
0: I think that to Jess Franco, a close-up on a scorpion is as cool as a lot of bush, is as cool mm. as a scarf, is as cool as the, the tasseled ceiling. Like, he is an aesthete almost as much as he is a horn dog. <laughs> and and I like it. I think that it is a open ...ness too? I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's a horror movie, and sexy horror movies can sometimes feel mm, conservative because they're punishing people for having sex. But this movie isn't necessarily punishing anybody for having sex. It's more just like, sometimes weird stuff happens, and you might as well get some before you get murdered or turned into a vampire or something. Mm.
1: I I like how non sort of narrative and character anchored it is. I like that it is just a series of cohesive and striking compositions. I feel like it's a movie that I would play in the background while like Mm -hmm. hanging out with friends or having a party, which I think in many ways makes it a great movie for this podcast. But I I think it's something that I'll revisit a lot passively.
2: Yeah, I think that this is a film that I would put on when I was doing like a mushroom trip. And. (laughs) Just bask in the sitar, bask in the bush, bas- bask in the red everything. And also, I really like, there were some, I think, filters. I don't, I'm not a cinephile the way the two of you, you are, but I was looking at, like, when this, the sun is, like, blazing, like, hot pink. Mm you know, a couple of times over the sea. And I was like, I have seen a sun look like that before, but it has been because of fire season. You know, <laughs> it's like a very bad air quality. I
0: think it was like the smog of Istanbul at the time. Mm, yeah. Like, I think something that's like, we're not talking about so much is that this movie is set during the like groovy period of Turkish history. Mm-hmm. Like before certain uh, Islamic revolution things happened across the Arab World, Turkey was at this point was extremely westernized, was extremely swinging, was full of miniskirts. Um, actually, wait, hold on a second.
1: Beth is running to Istanbul. Yeah, I was
0: gonna say, I'm gonna bring back an original
2: photo <laughs> from Istanbul
1: that she just took.
0: This is an ad from a Turkish newspaper from maybe like five years before this movie comes out. Mm.
1: So that's Ethan Hawke on the right. <laughs> right? We'll, we'll, um,
0: we'll post a picture of this on the Instagram. I do not speak Turkish, but I think it's an ad for this bar. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad gave this to me because he was born in Turkey. But putting it at this place that at the time must have felt like, oh, the old world is getting like pushed out in favor of the miniskirt world, and then later like a post-colonialist resurgence of traditionalism would come back and sort of push back that it's like it's really cool to have Istanbul as the site for this movie because it sort of has the same oh it's all happening energy as like Victorian London in Dracula of like the Mm. old stuff is meeting the new stuff and it's all very confusing and highly erotic
2: yeah the Dracula connection I thought was really interesting and I dug it and the fact that like Linda is having those dreams, I think, is a direct reference to Dracula, because don't the characters in Dracula have the same sort of compulsion or the same sort of dreams that are kind of eerie and they don't know what's going on. So I felt like there was connection there. But the thing that struck me that i that I keep thinking about was the fact that Nadine's backstory is so violent. Like mm-hmm. the reason that she gets turned into a vampire is because she's being sexually assaulted and raped by soldiers, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, what does that say about the fact that she uh is a lesbian or she's a queer woman and that the trope at that time and even currently is that, you know, people, women become interested in other women because they have had really bad sexual experiences with men. It can't be something that we just like want on our own. It has to be in reaction to this violence that's been f- inflicted upon us by men.
0: Yeah, that did trouble me, too. I did get the sense that she had never been interested in men. I think she said something kind of like that. Whether it was, like, that she – that was when she stopped liking men or whether it was that she had never liked men and this – the way she became a vampire was, like, only solidified that. But it it does feel mm-hmm. not super necessary, especially today, but it feels very of the time as far as, like, we gotta have Rape's backstory in something. It's the 70s. yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and judge it by my standards today and not contextualize (laughs) it in a socio-political moment at all. I refuse. I think that's uh, 100% fair. I, I do like that. I think it's interesting that Nadine, like her vampirism is born out of violence. She tends to either kill or like subsume the people that she's with. She probably kills and eats men, but she seduces and eats but not doesn't always kill women and she talks about like that when she's with these women she like becomes them and they become her mm-hmm. and like they lose their identity and she, it, it is very like tragic to me that she can't turn that off for the person that she thinks of as the one she is still pulling the same old moves that were like predatory and violent on this person mm-hmm. that she thinks it will change all that for her but she's doing nothing different so why would it change anything
2: <laughs> Yeah. She's a
0: bit out of touch,
2: generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was also, I mean, I was watching it and I was really interested in everything that was going on. And then when Linda wakes up in the sanitarium that I was like, oh, this is where the real horror is going to start. Because I just expected for her to be like locked up and I don't know, tortured in some way, because there's there's also, of course, the trope that's related to when women are sexual beings, they're hysterical um, or and they need to be anesthetized in some kind of way by these men. So I was glad when she didn't end up having to stay there and she could leave of her own free will. But then Agra's there just writhing around and <laughs> holding on to a clown dildo <laughs> and she can't get out of that situation. And then it did also make me laugh when Nadine dies And then Agra also dies, or I think like (laughs) I couldn't tell if she just fainted or she actually like her heart stopped and she expired because Nadine pulled out essentially. Yeah,
0: I don't think that she died. I think to Agra living in a world without Nadine is death anyway. So it's kind of like six to one. I do think it's funny that we that we first meet Agra at the Horny Amnesia Clinic. I don't know. Uh, And she's writhing around, (laughs) screaming about she's coming back. She's here, etc. And a doctor comes in and slaps her and then leaves. (laughs) 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 He just comes in, is like, shut up, hits her and then leaves. And then like in the next scene, Linda wakes up and that same doctor is there and she does. She's calmer, but she's like, hey, where am I? And he just walks out of the room without saying anything to
2: her. Yeah.
0: There's some weird dynamics
2: going on the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, those those dudes. I mean, I think that there was something about, like, the ineptitude of men that was being commented on. I don't know if intentionally so. Maybe. Because I think that the director considers himself to be a feminist, I would imagine.
0: Possibly. Like,
2: (laughs) I don't know. I was just thinking, like, I think that he thinks that he's making a film about like sexual empowerment, women's sexual empowerment specifically, but it's also difficult when like you have literal lesbianism happening, but then also vampirism can be related to and inscribed and read through the lens of homosexuality, you know, and some tropes. Like it's difficult when things are literal and figurative within the same film. (laughs) And I didn't know whether or not Franco had a sense of what kind of film he was, or message he was trying to make. And so maybe I'm just like expecting too much of this dude. And I
0: should, you know, relax my standards a little bit. I also wonder what he thought he was making because he was going so fast. I wonder how much reflection he even had time for. I think mm. I think he was, he was making three films at once. Yeah, so. he was just he was going on vibes alone. He was just I, I'm not <laughs> sure he knew like what movie when he was shooting something. I don't know if he knew which movie it was going to go in. Like he was really like just sort of filming his id 24 sevs mm.
1: A- Alex, <laughs> I, I actually think you you might be giving him too much credit I, I I don't I don't think that the intentionality necessarily was to make a a, a like a, a liberating work and I think that mm-hmm. this movie actually does feel transgressive and interesting and, and queer in a lot of places that I think go well beyond intentionality mm-hmm. but I, I don't know that he was trying to make a radical film Bethy do you disagree
0: yeah I don't know if he was either I think there's I keep thinking about this scene in Daria. (laughs) There's this episode where Daria's parents used to be like hippies and they've become like yuppie scum in the suburbs and their hippie friends who didn't sell out come by the house and like do a sort of like what happened to you man, like big chill come to Jesus moment about who they are. And in two different scenes, the the two wives sort of like complain that the men aren't doing any work at all they're just drinking outside and are like you need to come in here and help us with this and the guys say to each other the girls are getting liberated man far out <laughs> like they they love that it's happening but they also will not change anything about what they're doing like <laughs> as long as it changes nothing this is awesome and i feel like that's sort of the energy <laughs> of this movie
2: i can yeah i can see that and then you know at the end when Linda does kill Nadine and goes back to her apparently subpar lover. <laughs> and they're like on the boat together, you know, going back to the main to the mainland. I just felt disappointed, you know. I was like, why did why did it have to be that way, Franco? Why can't we not go back to the man and the heterosexual relationship that sounds and
0: seems very unsatisfying. Sucks. Yeah, Linda wasn't ready. No. But yeah. also She didn't have any choice in the relationship, so. Yeah, I am
2: sort of setting it up like the relationship between Nadine and Linda was good, and it was not at all. (laughs) It was coercive and rapey and all of the things that you don't want a relationship to be.
0: But I feel like they they broke up on good terms, weirdly, for someone who stabbed someone else Mm -hmm. in the eye. Like, she's, like, Mm -hmm. Linda is like, I'm gonna, or Nadine is like, I'm gonna die without you. And Linda's like, well, I don't want to be with you. And Nadine's like, well, I guess... I have to die then. And they, they all seem kind of fine with it. It was like a really good breakup that resulted in one member of the party li- literally vanishing as if they had never existed. <laughs> if only my exes would do that
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> I was really glad everyone was so pragmatic about things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you like to see vampires etc. with, you know, cool calm collected heads on
1: their shoulders. Vampires <laughs> who take a step back, look at the situation with clear eyes and say what is best here.
2: Right. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't <laughs> lose. <laughs> Can I tell you about one of one of my least favorite scenes? One of the scenes that I was like, I could not believe happened. I want to process this together with the two of you. As long it's as it's when, not the clown. No, it's not. <laughs> the <laughs> no, clown my stays. favorite scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was when Nadine and Linda are on the island together and they're in Linda's room and they're about to get it on. It's that scene. Mm-hmm. It's, like I said, very sitar forward. So the music's escalating. And... There's the shot of them and Linda and Nadine are standing and they're facing each other. And then Nadine is leaving the frame. The shot stays on Linda and you can see that Nadine is ostensibly kneeling down, right? That's what you're inferring as an audience member. And you'd think, as anybody would, that because she's kneeling down, what she's doing down there is she's taking off Linda's pants. And or she's, you know, like giving... Uh, some oral sex to Linda. Maybe she's doing some sexy bites on her thighs. That's what you want. There's a lot, a lot of buildup that's been happening thus far. And then what you see instead is a cut to Nadine kneeling on the ground, <laughs> grabbing Linda's hands and pulling Linda down to kneel with her on the ground. And I was like so enraged by the fact that this was, it was just a shot of somebody helping somebody else down to the ground. I was I was blown away. I could not believe that that was the choice.
0: That scene is incredible because after that they do get naked and like dating does go down on Linda, but lying down on the ground when there is a bed, (laughs) a bed six inches away from where they are. (laughs) Right. Incredible. It's
2: a 36 year old. I don't think I would make that choice, but I don't know. They might have been younger.
0: <laughs> that bed is really close to the ground too, so either way it's a lot of a lot of knee work.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: This movie has one of my favorite sort of tropes of horror, which is when a what seems like is just a normal theatrical performance turns out to be a murder. I love that. Um so other examples would be uh, the Grand Guignol scenes in Interview with the Vampire. And then uh, mm. when Jada Pinkett Smith gets got in Scream 2. Mm. Mm. Why do you love it so
2: much? What What about it is so great? I think I
0: find it just so scary. So in this, we see the same sort of like nightclub act that this vampire does on like a weekly mm-hmm. basis. <laughs> she has a regular gig at a nightclub. It's incredible. Anyway. And never changes the choreography. No.
1: It's a strong performance.
0: It goes over huge. The crowds (laughs) love it. There's no reason to, like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. And and the second time that we see the performance, you know, the wheels are kind of coming off for Nadine. And she decides to just eat her Mm co-performer in the strip chase. So rather than the normal one where she just lightly sort of nips at the neck of her dance partner, she just tears out her jugular. And the crowd applauds exactly the same as the normally like they're like we love it this is so avant-garde i feel very mm-hmm. look at us going out we're doing culture tonight honey it's like you know, a lot of couples <laughs> being like we're really enlightened for going to this like that's like the vibes <laughs> and i think i find that trope so scary because it leaves the performers so vulnerable like nobody will help them because they think it's part of the bit right or part of the show and i think something about that is so scary to me
1: I think it's a good commentary on just desensitization, and and when you consume enough of a simulated act, you you don't always clock when it's no longer simulated. This mm. what I said is not smart, but it's a starting <laughs> point.
0: Um, oh, Phantom of the Paradise has it too. When beef
2: dies. Right. Bethy, are you worried as someone who has staged things and acted in them before that this might happen
0: to you? Uh, As somebody who's done long form improv places with like a lot of info, the bro- <laughs> info- I can't talk. A lot of improv bros. Yeah, I'm worried that a line might get crossed sometime when I'm on stage mm-hmm. and no one will help me for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm laughing, but that's actually terrifying.
0: (laughs) Not cool or cute. I don't think anybody is going to do an elaborate sex murder at me on stage, though.
1: (laughs) This conversation is just making me glad I wasn't murdered for real in my high school production of Arsenic and Old (laughs) Lace.
0: Oh, that would have been the time.
1: Could have been cool. Could have
0: been really cool. Is there a video of that like there is for Guys and Dolls?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put it on the wall at Monty at my next birthday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for longtime listeners, they might remember that uh, at Thomas's birthday one time, somebody projected his high school production of Guys and Dolls on the wall of Monty Bar in downtown L.A.
1: Without telling me.
0: Yeah. Once again, this is wow. locals only for this podcast. <laughs>
1: After the third person walked up and said, you're good at uh, doing heel clicks, aren't you? I was like, what the fuck are people talking about? And then when I turned and looked, I was mortified.
2: What a thing to experience. That's also love, though, Tom. You know,
1: That's true. It, I, I, it, it came from a place of warmth, but also wanting to roast me. And that's fine. Everyone needs to be roasted.
0: <laughs> I think we're about... To the end of the conversation. My only my only nagging question is what's up with that spooky kite? Oh, the kite. Yeah, what do we think the kite's about?
2: Well, I was wondering, I was like, at the end, because you see it again, I thought, you know, is it maybe Nadine's spirit kind of flying free? But obviously it couldn't be because it's still tethered to something and cannot be cannot go into the into the air, fly into the sun, so to speak. So I had no idea what was going on with that. I was like, was it just literally another object? that was red that was around the area and he's like point the camera at that baby you know i didn't know what the what the reasoning was thomas what do you think about the
0: kite
1: uh to me it's just like the scorpion or any uh, number of other sort of polysemous images in this movie that allow for a profound subjective experience yeah <laughs> uh, I, I didn't think that much about it because
0: like i feel like the scorpion and the moth are kind of obvious sort of stand-ins for the characters like to me, mm-hmm. they, they seem mono. See, what was that word? Polysemous. They monosemous. Polysemy
1: to me. meaning you know multiple interpretations.
0: I guessed that's what that meant. So I had a more yeah monosemous view of the scorpion. It's like oh that's Nadine and the moth. Oh that's Linda. Is the kite morpho? Is the kite their love? Mm-hmm. Is the kite? Colin called it a sky boob. I thought that was reaching. <sighs> It didn't have a didn't have a nipple on it that I saw. It looked like a sperm more than a boob. Mm, yeah. Is it Dracula? Is it the unseen presence of Dracula, sort of looming mm. over everything?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with
2: that one. That one sounds good to me.
1: Or a representation of the indomitable spirit of the divine feminine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Up and
1: up, up and up, no no ceiling in sight.
2: But also firmly planted on the ground by (laughs) whoever's holding the string (laughs) and
0: will not let it go. But in
1: the event that one day they let go.
0: Ah, yes. But then eventually they'll fall. It's the tension between the ground and the air that makes Mm. a kite go. I don't know if you guys know this, but (laughs) there is currently a kite show at Disney's Animal Kingdom where they've made a little little character kites that they fly around using jet skis. So, like, the, <laughs> the the kite rides behind a guy in a jet ski and, like, the resistance from the speed of the boat is what lifts the kite aloft. Whoa. But what they didn't take into account when designing this show is that Florida has its own wind that might not be going the direction that the Disney Corporation wants it to go. So they're, like... <laughs> the kites just keep sort of like falling on each other or like onto the jet ski guy or people are like falling off of their jet skis Uh, so if you want a companion piece to this movie I would recommend just googling uh, (laughs) Disney kite fails and just watching a bunch of jet skis flip uh, while a like half deflated Timon sinks into the ocean (laughs) oh wow Hakuna Matata
2: (laughs) Bye. bye bye (laughs) <laughs> I don't like to rip on entire, entire states, but that does sound like kind of like what I've heard Florida is, you know, <laughs> that, also the audacity to have its own wind. Can you imagine?
0: <laughs> you can't
2: create wind.
1: <laughs> no. Wait, Bethy. So as not necessarily the culmination, but maybe the, the core text of your uh, lesbian vamptober, is there, is there any way that you'd like to wrap this up?
0: I think this is this is probably the foundational text for my lesbian vampire fascination. Like, this is maybe the first yeah. lesbian vampire movie I ever saw. And then I was like, oh, wait, there's, like, so many of these. What's even going on? <laughs> so this is, like, your root? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a cheerleader. This is my root. <laughs> this is what turned me gay. We figured it out. I think I, it's just something really interesting about, like, movie dudes really likes the idea of uh, women loving each other being as predatory and murderous as when men love women. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's what struck me. I was like,
2: you know, this is another thing where it's just people misunderstanding what feminism is, where they think it's just women adopting the qualities that men have. And... So that's why when I was watching it, I was like, what is actually happening here? What's the real, the real story? But I will do uh, what Tom did, which is just, you know, disassociate myself from any kind of coherent.
0: (laughs) Oh, just disassociate completely. I think that's the goal. (laughs)
2: Yeah, right. Vibe so hard, you just leave this mortal coil. Like a kite. And then you become the kite. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like the idea of watching Vampiros Lesbos with the intention of dissociating and then dissociating so hard that you just never come back.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Your body is just on the couch, eyes open staring at the TV and your spirit is somewhere else. <laughs> miles worlds away. Could be cool.
2: <laughs> Could be cool. Could be fun. I will say this would be a film that I would like to see at a bar if I was eating a slice of
0: pizza and shooting Jameson. And with that, I think we did it, guys. That's a podcast. (laughs) Home run. Alex, if people want to look at your actual scholarship or your internet presence, where should people look you up? Oh, you can do
2: a little, like, a basic Google search of me, Alexandria Hollett, two L's, two T's, and a lot of stuff will come up that you can find readily available and for free on the interwebs.
1: Are we talking <laughs> syllabi? Uh,
2: you would need to email me for that, but my
0: email <laughs> is, <laughs> my email is on the internet, too, for you to find. All right. <laughs> and, Thomas, where should people look for you online?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter at handsome underscore pal. And we have a, a, a Twitter for the show, which is at movie bar pod.
0: Mm-hmm. And our Instagram yeah. is at movie bar underscore pod. If you want to look at what I do, internet wise.
1: You do. You don't want to miss what Bethy's doing online. Don't
0: sleep on it. <laughs> I'm at BethyBSQU on Twitter and at Bethy Squires on Instagram. And I would just like to say, as we close this out, that I have been drinking a free bottle of Vanderpump Chardonnay this whole <laughs> podcast record.
2: Oh, wow.
1: You really buried the lead, Bethy.
0: You did. <laughs> full. <laughs> I was just drinking stupid water. Full wine review in the next episode. I can tell you about all of the notes and the finish and the timbre and all that wine shit. That's for next time. Any blood? Any blood? No, it was, it was white wine, so it'd have to be bile, <laughs> I think, or some other, like, I goo. I don't know, some other fluid that isn't, that is white. Come. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening! <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs>
1: Bye. Next time we'll talk about your dissertation, Bethy, which is the uh, Vanderpump vampirism. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Vampirpump. pump. <laughs> Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell. And that theme you hear at the top? That's Quentin Mulligan.